This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's me, Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, the same Cindy Adams who harangues you in my column Monday through Thursday, four times a week, every week in the New York Post. Listen, you're stuck with me right now. I'm sort of in the mood to dish. I want to tell you some delicious little things. We're going to talk right now for about Ben Affleck's temp lady friend, Miss Lopez, who has a new rom-com. It's called Marry Me. It's a great idea. I mean, who can do this better than a serial bride like Miss Lopez, who has done this real deal, plus rehearsals, so often that they have a gynecologist on speed dial? On this particular shtick, she plucks another husband. This is the gimmick for the show. It's a total stranger she picks. She picks from the audience. It sounds so exciting that there's no need for anyone to put on a repeat of a Joe Biden speech. This is even more interesting. Lopez says, she says, the show is I play a global superstar, a strong, confident businesswoman. But I'm also just a regular, everyday person. Yeah, that means, kids, no retoucher, no stylist, no hairdresser, no assistant, no manager, no live-in PR person. She says on this, but I'm just also a girl who gets lonely. I think maybe they could cue home on the range at this point. And she says, it's so much that I could understand like nobody else could, and that's why I'm just an everyday girl. I like to bear my soul. So somebody should ask her, what was that soul being bared like when she was with husbands Ohani Noah, Chris Judd, and Mark Anthony? Now, to go on, the temporarily Miss Lopez... She goes on about this new show. She says, I pick someone in the audience to marry, and then my life on the show completely changes. That happens when you're with someone who sees you as you truly are, as she was truly with Alex Rodriguez, David Cruz, Tommy Matola, Casper Smart, Wesley Snipes, etc., She then, on this show, realizes she is actually the love of her own life, which took no audition. And this has been her problem since everyone, she says, really just wants a simple life to be happy and find love. Okay, while we bear up while this goes on, she will also be repeating how happy her kids are now playing with Affleck's kids that they're just now one big happy family. Just as she told Alex Rodriguez how happy her kids were playing with his kids now that they're just one big happy family. Okay, I'm finished with that, but I want to tell you now something, just want something about Alex Rodriguez. (laughs) Last week was Lambeau Field. Wisconsin's Green Bay Packers lost to the San Francisco 49ers. So who shows up in the stands? Toilet sitter Rodriguez. Fans who were there and saw him muttered that Alex's new 
football-sized cheeks appear to be way the hell blown up. The face seems to now be fuller, fatter, wider. To quote one soul who is not as kindly and genteel as myself, he said, a person might think it's almost like what maybe might have almost been drained out of Jennifer's behind, and then somehow almost could have gotten stuck in A-Rod's cheeks. But, like I say, I wasn't there. So that is hardly something I, my gracious own self, would ever think. Okay, now I want to tell you something about Audrey Hepburn, in case you don't remember her. She was from the old days. She's getting a documentary. The director is Luca Guadagnino. The fellow skinny actress Lily Collins, who desperately wanted to play Audrey in this documentary, was upset because picked for this role is the girl with the dragon tattoo, Rooney Mara, and a Hepburn son, Cave Rooney Mara, the kosher sign to play Mama. Listen, I don't care who plays her, frankly, but just delivered to me was a new book that I'd never seen before. It's from Running Press. It's called Audrey and Bill. And the subtitle is A Romantic Biography of Audrey Hepburn and William Holden. He was a big actor at the same time that Audrey Hepburn was running hot. I didn't know that she had bounced on mattresses with William Holden. Her hot years... Breakfast at Tiffany's, Roman Holiday, My Fair Lady, were in the 50s and 60s. I didn't know anything then. And TV's Mattress Guy, he didn't know anything then either. But the author, Eddie Epstein, must have been under those springs because he seems to know this. He quotes Bill Holden as saying, Audrey was the love of my life. On page 41, he says, first to learn Audrey and Bill had become lovers, was, and he gives a list of names. And he says, Bill's impassionate feelings for Audrey in bed, that's on page 47. Page 69, everyone had heard all about Bill and Audrey. Well, I hadn't. Well, if you want more about them, where and how often, the author suggests the documentarians give him a call. And now I think it's time for me to take a station break. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Okay, now an interview with Joan Hamburg, my friend, your friend. WABC Radio's friend. I mean, she's been on the station longer than I have. I know Joan Hamburg. You know Joan Hamburg. Everyone knows Joan Hamburg. John Katzenmatidis, who owns this station, calls her, not me, the first lady of radio. She knows everyone. If Madame Curie, who discovered radium, just now got up from the beyond, Joan would have her on the air. Because wherever Madame Curie is now, she'd have heard of Joan Hamburg. Okay, Joan, 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 the beginning. Cindy. 
What? Yes. Yes, what a great introduction. Thank you. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. Where, where, where did you grow up? Where? Mother, father, I grew, beginnings. I grew up in Lawrence, Long Island, which was then a little town. It was part of the five towns, but... When I was a kid, it was fairly rural. Now it's suburban America, suburban New York. And I grew up in a very large extended family. In addition to my parents and my brother, my grandfather lived with us, and he had a whole bunch of kids. So we had the kind of household where there was not a night that there weren't at least 15, 20 people around the dinner table visiting Papa, the grandpa. Every night they came for dinner, my father would roll his eyes in misery. My brother would run upstairs and hide in his room because there was never privacy. There was always noise and so much food. Cindy, you wouldn't believe. My Is mother that how would it all make... started for you? Yeah. When you had to force yourself to talk? You had to force yourself to talk and talk loud to get over the noise of all the relatives. And it's where did also you go to where school? You went to Barnard, I went, no? I went to Barnard College, and I went to um, a small town then, to Lawrence Public School and Lawrence High School. There weren't a lot of us. Then I ended up, I went to Michigan University for the first two years, and my parents insisted I come back to New York because I had a boyfriend at the time from New York who was a doctor. And God forbid you let a doctor get through your grip in those days. So being a good daughter, I transferred to Barnett College, got rid of the boyfriend, and started my New York adventure. What did you major in in, in Barnard or schools when you came out? Barnard. I majored in American studies, and I wrote a thesis my last year on American architecture. They what let the hell me is literally. That? What, did, what do you know I, from architecture? Well, I thought at the moment, if I couldn't make it as an actress, I might be an architect. So I literally traveled all over the country and interviewed Paul Rudolph and and all the leading architects of that time. And it was very exciting. But then, you know, I ended up going what all good graduates did at that time to Speed Writing Institute. Remember those? You would see yeah, if you yeah, can yeah, read yeah, them. Yeah. Well, well, what did you hope to be someday? Did you, did you hope to be an architect? I thought I wanted to be an architect. I always loved homes and houses and people's lives and the impact that where they live had on them. But I went to Neighborhood Playhouse on and off through my childhood, and I really wanted to be an actress. I never thought of radio, ever, in those What did days. you do? Did you, what did you do? Take up needlework or sell shoes? What did you do to make well, a book? When I, when I came out of Barnett, I was part of a theater group, but I also had a job writing copy for a magazine called Coupon Magazine, and it was in the old Belmont Plaza Hotel, this magazine, and it was pictures of a product and a coupon, 
And I didn't last there very long because I think I may have once even told you this story, but I was the person, you know, the young college graduate allegedly could understand speed riding so I could be a secretary, which is what they called us in those days. And my job was first to go to the magazine and wake up Ouija, the famous photographer, and yeah. Lenny Bruce, the famous comedian, they were friendly with my boss, and they slept on the floor in this office at the old Belmont Plaza. Ouija, every time I woke him up, would say, get away from me, kid, and he'd give me his photographs. as so, you know, to shut up, to move away. I had no idea who he was, and I had never really seen Lenny Bruce. I was just out of school. And, you know, when you think about Lenny Bruce, he was really a funny guy. Okay, and so how did you get into radio, my job? How did you get more important than I did? How did you get into no. this? I got into radio because I was writing. I had written a book called New York on $5 a day. And that book did very well. And suddenly I was a writer, like out of nowhere. And I had a job at New York Magazine. And the editor... A wonderful, gifted man. You knew him, Clay Felker. Yeah. Clay Felker, who called me one day, and he said, look, I want everyone who works for me to be more than they think they can be. So I want you to audition for a radio show. I said, oh, I couldn't do that. I, I'm not doing that. You know, and I'm an actress, I reminded him. He said, never mind actress. Go audition. They have a guy called Bob Grant, and he's constantly insulting people, and they're always threatened with lawsuits. Go audition. They want a nice person on this radio show. I auditioned. All my relatives, I have this large family, wrote, we never heard radio like that. So guess what, Cindy? I got you the got job hired. out of you nowhere. Right? <laughs> I got hired. I had you no clue. Hired. I didn't know what to do. But suddenly I was on the radio. Who, the was, your first, was, who was your first oh VIP personality? You know, I was trying to think of that the other day. I think one of the very early ones was um, not Carol Burnett, but Carol Channing. And she lived in a hotel in Times Square. And believe it or not, she would listen to the radio in between gigs all the time. And she became a fan. And she called me one day, and she came right on the air. And that was the beginning of, I met friends of hers. And, you know, it's one-to-one. Like, I always marveled how you get all the information you get and how you knew all those people. You were a kid. Listen, did you forget how I did it? I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Did you ever screw up on the air? Of course, we all screw up. Oh, good. I can't I wait to hear. Tell me, tell me, tell okay. me. No, we, I screwed up plenty. I remember, first of all, Peter Strauss. Remember Peter Strauss? Oh, Macy's yeah. There's nobody Strauss came family. before me. Nobody, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Peter Strauss, he, had, oh, he was the one who hired me. And he would constantly, you know, say, don't talk about your life. He's, I said, well, what should I talk about? 
Peter Strauss said, talk about tuna fish. I said, tuna fish? He said, yeah, everyone cares about tuna fish. So that was the beginning. And he literally, Cindy, got me a tutor for radio. And I went to this lady's apartment and she would say, you can't teach anyone how to do radio. I'll give you coffee and we'll talk. But she did say to me, never go on the air without at least four topics you can talk about in case your guest doesn't talk. I can't tell you how many times I've had guests that never talked. Yeah, I know what that is. Did you, you know, ever say, listen, did you ever say a bad word on the air, which is a no-no? I mean, a really bad word. Why did you do that? <laughs> well, yeah, I have a done little. some of that because I tend to be a little bit free in my speech. But there are seven words or something which we're not allowed to say. Right. But I, now, I obviously, I can't I, say what they are. Okay. I don't but think you I never ever really did that, screwed but, up. Did you ever really well, screw up anything? I, I, I screwed up only to the extent when I had a guest who was making me very nervous and it was Good Friday. And I was like, happy Good Friday, everyone. And there was a moment of appalling silence. Like, <laughs> And then I had Pete Seeger was one of my guests that day. And he came to my rescue because the station was very Catholic. And they weren't happy about hearing happy Good Friday. So he gets his guitar and he says, it's a holy day. It's a holiday trying to save my behind. Listen, I I used to see you at every cockamamie opening. I know. Any lousy, stinking show that I would walk out on in the middle. I was there. You would sit through forever. You don't I go know. to the, not that we have Broadway any longer, but you don't go to these openings anymore. Yeah, well, during the pandemic, I haven't done it. But hopefully, when things, are you still going to the theater? I'm not even going to the ladies' room. I'm not well, going anywhere, <laughs> honey. I have been sitting in my house with my lousy housekeeper who's listening to me and who's been with me for 25 years. I'm not going anywhere. I don't feel secure. I don't, I'm just not. So it's very difficult for me. Uh, I don't know about you about getting all the guests and things, but it's not that easy because we aren't no. going to galas or red carpets or openings or backstage. I'm not doing it. None of I'm not I'm with you. I'm not. I miss theater. I love theater with a passion. My daughter-in-law is an actress. My son is in you know the the sort of yeah. movie theater business. But I I feel like you at this moment. I know too many people who were sick and still have ramifications. So it isn't. We'll start going soon. Let's hope. But right now, we're home. And my refrigerator okay. has become my best friend. No, you know, I understand. My exercise, right? Open it up, close it. We all dine standing honest. up. What do you think it's, of some of today's interviewers? Please don't tell me they're all wonderful because I'm going to throw up. What do you no, think of today's but, interviewers? A lot of them, you know, I was listening to another radio station one day, and I heard the host say, the guy who, who he was interviewing say, well, did you read my book? And he said, no, I don't read books. We have a reader who does all the books. 
And I thought, you know what? Okay. When yeah. I think about you and me, no matter yeah. what, we do our homework. And yeah. you, I just like you see me, I see you when it was doable at everything, at everything. And it makes a huge difference. Some of and the interviewers are obviously not prepared. For instance, if I listen to a news program, I have been in these cities like Kabul, Afghanistan. I have been right. there twice, and I hear the person saying, Kabul. I know it's not Kabul because I've been there. They don't understand, and I've heard them say, Iran. It's not right. Iran. It's Iran. So what is happening to the quality of today's interviewers? It's all shortcuts because the younger kids grew up in the computer world and everything for them is a shortcut. You know, they're used to instant gratification. They don't know from reading the books, doing the homework, everything is cut in little bits and it just doesn't make it. I decided when I was a kid and I wrote New York on $5 a day and I had my first radio interview, the lady was asking me all these weird questions. And finally, at a break, I said to her, I'm so sorry, but I don't think you're talking about my book. And she started screaming. Her assistant had given her someone else's book. She never bothered to look <laughs> at any of them. And it was like I was shaking because it was, I thought, you know, my first interview. Anyway. Later on, when I got a radio job and television, too, I swore I would read every damn book. I would go to everything if I was going to talk about it. And I do. And you do. And that's what makes a difference. Plus, we're well, friendly. I've had a couple of bad times. I mean, a thousand years ago, when Fox TV started... And they started with a TV show called A Current Affair. I had Raquel Welch, who was a real pain in the mm. ass. I do hope you're allowed to say that word on television, yes. on radio. She was a pain in the ass. So she she was three blocks away from the studio, and she wanted a limo to take her there. Then she wanted her own um, photographer. Then she wanted her own lighting man. And when I asked her, this was a three-minute interview on something she wanted. She wanted it promoted. So I said to her, well, Raquel, are you difficult to work with? And she said, no, but you are. And she took off her microphone, walked <laughs> oh, no. off, and left me sitting there in the chair all by myself. You never had a bad experience like that? Oh, I actually had Billie Jean King, the wonderful tennis player, yeah. walk out of my radio show, the same kind of thing. And she was a major tennis star then. And my producer, she had said to my producer, well, what are you going to ask? And my producer said, well, I don't really know because, you know, she doesn't necessarily write the interview in advance. But I'm going to suggest she asked not only about your tennis, but about your life, about being gay in the world of sports. And she got so angry <laughs> and she literally took off. I never saw her or heard from her again. <laughs> what did you and do I with said, dead air? How did you feel? Oh, it? my. Oh,
It's really frightening. That's the old radio coach that Peter Strauss got me. Never come without four things you can talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, when I was on Live at Five on WNBC with Sue Simmons, I was on for 5,000 years. My contact lens in a tight close-up, the damn thing rolled right down my face while I was doing Live at Five. I mean, everything has happened to me, for God's I sake. I know. Okay, but one last what? question before they throw me off here. How do you prep? Yes. How do you prepare your questions in advance? I don't. I read whatever. I read all of their books. And I, like you, we go to theater. We do all of that. And I keep notes and then it turns out once we start talking I forget about the notes and I just usually let it go but I do do a lot of homework on everyone if it isn't someone that I know very well and you know over the years you and I know a lot of people and it makes a difference <laughs> yeah, because a lot and of I people. know that you are so terrific the first lady the first lady of radio. And now I have to go and make a living and do some other things. And I love you, Joan. Are you going to have dinner with me one night? I can't wait. Thank you, Cindy. You are gracing ABC, and you don't know how excited I am to work where you work. I've Thank always you, been one of your Thank biggest you. Thank fans. you for coming on, honey. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay, I am back from the station break. Listen, where stars in the universe came from, this I don't know. Where stars in the cinema came from, this I know. Like Leighton Meester, she got born in a jail cell. If you want to know how, look it up. I'm just telling you. Alec Baldwin, of whom you may have heard lately, he was a waiter at Studio 54. Margot Robbie, sandwich maker at a subway. Eva Longoria, six years working at Wendy's. Big names may now have assistants, makeup people, agents, retouchers, PR people, hairdressers, stylists, lawyers, ex-spouses, accountants. But not all came from 18-carat backgrounds. Woody Harrison's, Harrelson's dad was a hitman. Christopher Walken, a lion tamer in a traveling circus. Obama, of whom you may have heard, hustled ice cream at Baskin-Robbins. Joaquin Phoenix got born into a cult. Rose McGowan, she spent nine years in that same cockamamie cult, whatever it was. Christopher Lee was in British Special Operations. Sarah Brightman, she sang in the pop group Hot Gossip. Vin Diesel was a bouncer. Harry Styles was a baker. Alan Alda did time in boot camp. Kevin Costner, stage manager. Matthew McConaughey, exterminator. Kanye, or whatever the hell his name is this week, stacked T-shirts at the Gap. 
and Tom Cruise, a bellhop. Nicki Minaj, a red lobster waitress. So now, I want to tell you some other little things. The Siena College, a poll, puts Hochul, who is our new governor, puts Hochul 30 points ahead in its primary for governor of New York. The latest fundraising cycle brought her $22 million, which is over twice what was wrangled by opponents. Swazi, who is also running, has about as much chance of warming Cuomo's vacated seat as ex-previous former Once Upon a Time Prince Andrew has of heading the think tank at Mensa. Also, I want to do one quick bitch about our new mayor. His posturing, bicycling, and speechifying has done so far zero. Besides hiring Braggart Bragg for DA, whose BS is we should stay away from bad people's bullets and it isn't nice or smart if we walk into someone's open blade, his solution for crime is to not be nice to anybody but to let everything happen by itself. So he's now burbling, New York is stealing and killing and shooting, but it's the federal government's problem, not ours. Isn't he a wonderful DA for us? I want to tell something about my city, New York. Theaters may come, theaters may go, but to thank our Father, which art in heaven, or in Hollywood, whichever is closer, the 58th Street Paris movie house, which was closed, is now cranking on forever. It got itself a new series. It got classics and contenders. That was newer filmmakers picking their favorite older flicks, with the Paris Theater now running them. For instance, director Jane Campion liked Richard Gere's Days of Heaven. Lin-Manuel Miranda sings praises for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Rebecca Hall's a fan of Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Maggie Gyllenhaal is going Fellini-esque and picks a streetwalker classic Knights of Kabiria. Will Ferrell's mad about Adam McKay in Network. Somebody else pants for all that chaz. And whoever's Paolo Sorrentino, he's into Fellini's 1953 I Vitalone, which who cares about except he says it inspired Scorsese's Mean Streets. Listen, I don't know who's picking these picks. I'm just grateful that we have a movie theater, and I'm grateful we have a gorgeous movie theater on East 58th, and that it's playing anything. And who picks these picks? Who pick their favorite picks? This I don't know. I'm just saying, go, enjoy, get out of the house, go to a movie in a movie theater. It's almost a new concept. 
So if you're going out and you're going to sit outdoors in the snow and enjoy dinner, some New York restaurants are shutting. I know about that. Uncovered some of our quirkier named eateries. New York has a nice little place called the Barking Dog. The hounds dine outside accompanied by a paying human. There are 15 tables and 60 seats and a few wee-wee pads. There's a place called Popeye's. It's named for the detective character in 1971's film French Connection. Jacques Brasserie does three cheeses for $8. And there's a co-owned Munchies Corner. That's $22 for the same three cheeses. There's also Beetle House, Global Grasshopper, Dirt Candy, Paulie G's Slice Shop, and a little eatery place called Blind Barber. There is yet another one that I haven't been in. It's called Nude, N-U-D-E, Nude Dining. I haven't yet tried the food, but who the hell cares? Listen, I'm not proud of this, but people have been asking me to tell them about Robert Durst, who just left this earth. I have interviewed the convicted murderer, Robert Durst. I have been with him. I have spoken with him. I was with him in his Galveston cell. And I have been on the front pages of the New York Post with exclusives with Robert Durst. So people have been asking me to tell them a little bit about what he was like. Listen, he was not exactly a nice guy. I knew he'd become sickly, cardiac arrest, and prison authorities had put him in the hospital. Back a ways, I had a front page exclusive with Robert Durst. It had been headlined, Durst Speaks. It was as a result of a case he had in Texas. It was when this millionaire from New York's wealthy real estate family had worn a dress and stolen a sandwich and was then on trial for gruesomely hacking up a body into many pieces. And after doing all that, the verdict in Texas was, he was actually sensationally acquitted. I was with him right after he was acquitted from hacking up a person. Despite that stunning verdict, he still was actually annoyed. Actually, this murderer was irritated Just hours after the verdict, he told me, quote, I'm upset. I won fair and square. And I just saw the DA on television saying, Durst is not welcome in my home. And then said murderer Robert Durst, that's not a nice thing to say. He said then to me, I thought it was nasty. I couldn't hear more because those in the next cell were making a lot of noise. Then he called me 
At that time, our conversation was spread over four 10-minute phone calls. He said to me, the night before the verdict, the night before they found me absolutely innocent, we heard that the judge's thinking was the jury would be deadlocked. Courthouse rumors were they couldn't reach a decision. And when it came down, he told me, the DA wasn't even there. My lawyer wasn't even there. We had to phone him. This is a guy, a convicted murderer, for two other women before, and he was upset. He was upset at the verdict when he was found innocent for having hacked up a person. The day that trial did begin in Texas, Durst told me the jailers had been nice to him and that he'd actually been allowed a little delicacy. Ice cream, he said. However, being behind bars for so long, his stomach was no longer accustomed to pigging out. He became ill, but after the verdict, he particularly explained to me about how nice his Texas guards were. He said, it was so nice, the guards gave me a special treat, turkey, stuffing, and chestnuts with French fries instead of mashed potatoes. Oh, I think that was so nice. Don't you? In 2010, Magnolia Pictures made the film All Good Things. It starred Kirsten Dunst. The movie makers hoped it would help a best-supporting campaign for Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten later said, This did not decide whether or not he killed his first wife. The story starts with his youth, then working for his father, then his marital relationship. We don't see him do it, but we end up feeling he could have. Ryan Gosling, who played Durst, told me he says terrible things to his wife. I, playing his character, then found he killed a dog. And then I found that their many dogs somehow suddenly went missing. And he says, I also spent time with the late Mrs. Durst's family, who were quite emotional. Okay, so we have now lost Mr. Durst. And I will be back to you in a second. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Next month, Hugh Jackman with Sutton Foster opens in Broadway's revival of The Music Man. It had been on Broadway before, but due to the pandemic, it had to pack up all its things and go away. It is now back in previews. And the other day, I might add, I wasn't there, but friends who were there said Hugh Jackman got a standing ovation at the curtain. His choreographer is Warren Carlyle. Warren Carlyle has been twirling so fast that he's had just one 6 to 7 p.m. dinner hour for months. He's been exhausted doing this show. He said to me, during the pandemic, I worked the best I could. 
I walked my puggle dog a lot. Since his feet are shorter, he's now very glad I'm back at my job with Hugh Jackman and leaving him alone. So I asked him, how is Hugh handling all of this? He has not been well himself. Hugh Jackman loves this show, which originally opened in 1957. He did it originally in high school. It's such an American project. It is so Fourth of July patriotic. Look, he said, I'm British, but now I'm an American citizen. This is his choreographer, Warren Carlyle. I am very glad I'm back at my job, and I'm very glad I'm working with Hugh Jackman and we're back on Broadway. Hugh loves and adores this show. It's all American. You can take kids to see it. You are proud of patriotism, which is an impossible thing that we're losing. This is a huge dancing role for Hugh Jackman. It's taking him to take ice baths. We train three days a week, but Hugh's been prepping for this for over a year and a half. It's a big financial investment show. It could take maybe us seven years to develop that money back. He won a Tony for his last Broadway musical, The Boys from Oz. That was 18 years ago. For this one, we follow the original script, but for the famous number, 76 trombones, it's new music, new orchestrations, and my own choreographed nine-minute dance sequence. I said, okay, so how do you routine a nine-minute dance sequence? And he said, I routined it, and you won't believe it, with a jar of pennies on my dining table. Nobody in Broadway is going to understand when they pay a lot of money to see a show to know that I routined this with a jar of pennies on my dining table. I said, yeah, what are you talking about? He said, I put them all straight line. 30 dancers, 30 pennies. Then into a triangle. Then a diagonal line. At rehearsals, I used pennies for the marching band. The only way I can survive is two naps a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, bed at 7 o'clock at night. Look, Hugh and I are friends, 25 years. We've had two years to think about this, to plan it. Who knew the pandemic would come in in the middle of it all? The only problem is we have kids in the show. I never worked with kids before. Like the Olympics, they were jumping all over. I finally banned their mother and chaperones far away. I told them, get off the stage, get off backstage, get away from me, get out of the theater. It was the only way to solve the problem. The Music Man will make its music next month at the Winter Garden. Okay, we're coming to the end of the wonderful experience of listening to me, and I would like to say just a word or two about New York. Even though we are a busy city, 
People in New York City are basically keeping to themselves. If it weren't for the muggings, there might be no personal contact at all. And now it's getting so cold around here these days that some of this town's rednecks have turned blue. I want to thank everybody for listening to WABC and for listening to me and to know that I've been home more than I've been going out. It hasn't been just snow. It hasn't been just cold. It hasn't been just pandemic. But I just sit the other day at dinner with a female whose dress was cut so low I had to look under the table to see what she was wearing. Only in New York, kids. Only in New York. And thank you for listening to me, and I will be back again same time, same station, next Sunday. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.